welcome to the inaugural episode of the Salem Witch Trials podcast. I'm your host, Greg Hool. So what we're trying to do here is break down the complex story of the Salem Witch Hysteria piece by piece. So in each episode, we will talk to an expert who will help us understand either the chronology of events as they happened, or help us go deeper into some contextual issues. Our ultimate goal is to get behind the myth so that we can understand more about this fascinating and tragic event in early American history. In our first episode, we want to give you the who, what, when, and where of the Salem Witch Hysteria so that you'll have the context that you'll need to go deeper. And to do that, we have with us Daniel Gagnon. Dan is a historian and author who's written an extraordinary book called A Salem Witch, The Trial, Execution, and Exoneration of Rebecca Nurse. His book not only explores the story of Rebecca Nurse, who was one of the women executed during the witch hysteria, but also provides a phenomenal amount of background information about the Salem witch hysteria itself. So be sure to check it out. We've linked to the book in our show notes. Dan also serves on the board of directors of the Rebecca Nurse Homestead Museum in Danvers, Massachusetts. The key early events in American history that every American has been exposed to in some sort of way. It occurs in 1692, beginning in Salem Village, moving into Salem Town and the surrounding communities, during which almost 200 people are accused of witchcraft, 19 are hanged, one is pressed to death, and at least five die in the terrible jails. Salem traces its founding to 1626, when the first permanent settlement takes place. These settlers were primarily fishermen. Some had settled at Gloucester first, just further up the shore, and then moved to Salem, making it sort of the focal point of Massachusetts. It remains very tiny until 1630, when John Winthrop brings the Winthrop Fleet, the so-called Great Migration of Puritans to Massachusetts. Back home in England, the king is giving out charters to colonies. These charters are similar today to the Articles of Incorporation of a business. These are business corporations. You needed the king to let you be a corporation. So there's very few anywhere in Europe. The Puritans will form the Massachusetts Bay Company and get a royal charter. In a way, it's sort of a holding place for something that they know isn't really a business. They're all Puritans. Clearly, Puritanism is the reason that they have formed together. And this charter gives them land in the New World. So it's pretty clear this is just a way to facilitate settling Massachusetts, at least the northern part of Massachusetts. For the king, this seems pretty safe that these Puritans can go to Massachusetts. What really changes things regarding Massachusetts and the king is that with other royal charters for these corporations, they had effectively a government. You can think of it as like the board of directors and like the stockholders of a company. And that those meetings always took place in England. The Massachusetts Charter 
conveniently doesn't say where they need to hold the meetings of the governor and company of Massachusetts Bank. So they put the charter, literally the piece of paper, on a boat, and they send it to Massachusetts. And they decide that they can hold their meetings first in Salem, but then in Boston, which is where they will continue to be held as the seat of their corporate government. This is very interesting because they're, they're literally out of the king's reach. The king had granted them sweeping authority to govern Massachusetts. They can mint their own money. They put people on trial not in the name of the king, like you would in any ordinary kingdom, but instead they put people on trial in the name of Massachusetts. It is almost an independent country. They go as far to show their independence as refusing to fly the flag of England. So Massachusetts becomes unique in that way that it's almost independent of London. And when they establish their Puritan churches that do not take orders from the Church of England, you really end up with this new independent society. Of course, most of the white Europeans who came over to Salem from England during what Dan talked about as the Great Puritan Migration were Puritans. So what was Puritanism exactly? Puritanism is really a key concept to the story of the Salem Witch Trials, as the overwhelming majority of those Europeans living in Massachusetts are Puritans. And the whole reason they left England to come to Massachusetts has to do with their Puritan religion. Puritanism is a branch of Reformed Protestantism. One can think of in the Middle Ages in Europe, there was only one Christian church, what is today the Catholic Church, led by the Pope in Rome. And as we get to the early 16th century, we have Reformers popping up like Martin Luther, we have Calvin, and Europe begins to be divided. England takes a unique course with this religious turmoil. We have Henry VIII, who was given the title Defender of the Faith by the Pope for writing against these religious reformers, against Calvin and Luther and those who radically reimagined what the Christian church could be. And then, as many are familiar with, Henry VIII, despite his religious orthodoxy, for really personal political reasons, breaks his own country out of the Catholic Church with the issue of, of marriage annulment and wanting to remarry and then the Pope refusing. When he breaks England out of the Catholic Church and establishes the Church of England, it is almost exactly the same as the Catholic Church when it comes to beliefs. Once the Church of England is established, you have a new status quo where the leader politically of the country is also the leader religiously of the country. Puritanism begins its, its English form really due to the influence of John Calvin and his Reformed theology. These Puritans are called Puritans because they want to purify the English church. They didn't like the idea that the English church was separate, but basically still Catholic. They wanted it, now that it was separate, to become truly Reformed and they have a very different system of beliefs and system of worship 
That will pose a real threat to the subsequent kings of England. They wanted individual congregations to be independent. Each congregation would elect their own minister. There's a whole different interpretation of the sacraments, with many of the Catholic seven sacraments just rejected and others reimagined in a more modest, lower form. To the king, who was trying to shore up his political position as the head of the church, if you are dissenting from that church, religious dissent is now also political dissent. Your religious opinions could now be seen as treasonous. And that's why the Puritans are punished. Puritans will be arrested. Puritan clergy who preached in Church of England churches will be defrocked, thrown out, not allowed to publicly preach. And where many of those in Massachusetts come from is really a hotbed of Puritanism. when the Puritans arrived in North America, they, of course, were not alone. There were Native Americans who had lived on this land for centuries before then. With the Puritan settlement of Massachusetts, there were the, the Native Americans living in the Salem area, living in Massachusetts, New England overall. In Salem, the initial tribe is the Nomkeg, and with the settlers, they have often contentious relationships with the Native Americans. The English settlers do not understand them. They do not try to understand them, and they really begin with the assumption that what those English people are doing is better than what the Native Americans are doing, uh, and that they are less civilized. That's really the perspective. From the Puritan-specific angle, they view the Native American religion, which really is a plural religions of different regions, different specific groups of slightly different beliefs. They, of course, viewed Native American religion as one single monolithic idea, and they believed that they essentially worship the devil, that their gods, their ceremonies, um, their spiritual beliefs are satanic, that they are in league with the devil. This automatically makes them the Puritans' enemies. They don't believe you can negotiate with someone who they think works for the devil. This view will lead to real violence throughout New England in a series of wars. The first is 1637, the Pequot War in Connecticut, where the Puritans are absolutely brutal in fighting several tribes in the... Today, it's around the Connecticut-Rhode Island border area. And there will be tribes just kind of wiped out. We have complicated situations where some tribes side with the Europeans to get back at rival tribes, and it's a whole complicated mess. But what lesson is learned here that we see repeated in the next big conflict, 1675 and King Philip's War, is that wars will be fought brutally. It it really seems to be the European settlers that are the most brutal in 1637. But when a new one breaks out in 1675, natives realize how you can win a colonial war. And it is not nice. So you will have reports coming into Salem, which is not a frontline town in King Philip's War in 1675. But you will hear reports of absolute atrocities committed by Native Americans against the Puritans. They don't talk about what they're doing to the Native Americans, of course. This news is one-sided. The rumors are frightening. And 
although these stories are very one-sided, embellished, not fair in any way, the fear that they cause is very real to the settlers. They are genuinely afraid. And what happens with King Philip's War is it's centered in southern Massachusetts primarily, but then it will spread all along the western Massachusetts frontier, even into southern Vermont, uh, around Albany, New York, that area. All along the frontier, settlers' towns are burned. People are massacred. Again, they are doing similar things to the Native Americans. And these horror stories come to Salem. Refugees come to Salem. Salem builds a palisade wall. It's essentially a peninsula at that point. So there's a little neck of land that they build a palisade wall. And people from Salem are sent to fight. The North Shore of Massachusetts is Essex County. And the militia is the Essex Regiment. The Essex Regiment will fight in several places. The biggest being one of the biggest battles is the Great Swamp Fight down in Rhode Island. In that regiment, and in particular the companies from the Salem Village area, are several people who will be involved in the witch trials. We have Thomas Putnam Jr., who has a family that is one of the single most prominent during the witch trials. He is there at this fight. There's some other Putnams, some other people from that region, and the fighting is brutal. The Great Swamp Fight, they wipe out an entire village. They say that there's so much blood on the ground that there's boiling blood on the ground because they're burning things down. It's absolutely horrific, and one can only imagine these veterans of this war returning back to Salem after all this horrible stuff, bringing a lot of emotional baggage with them. In terms of the casualties and the proportion of the population, King Philip's War is the deadliest war in American history. By some estimates, about or almost half the settlements in New England are attacked or totally destroyed. So it is very brutal, very widespread, and would very much leave an impression on anybody who was involved, or even just those who heard the stories. You might be wondering, where do the witches come in? It's important to understand that for a 17th century Puritan, a witch wasn't some green-faced woman in a pointy cap. The Puritan view of witchcraft is very specific, and it's different from our modern view of witchcraft or modern views, as people use that word, to mean different things today. They believe a person who is a witch has literally been visited by the devil. He has shown up in front of them and handed them a contract signing up to be employed as a witch. Now, you might wonder, why would they believe anybody would want to do such a thing? You know, sell your soul and work for the devil. Well, the deal, as they believed it, is you signed up to work for the devil, to destroy Puritan Church, upend the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, and to do so, he gives you special powers. Okay. The benefit to these supposed witch is that they could use these powers on their own time, settle their own grudges, improve their own life. So that is what they believe the buy-in was. But it is important to be clear that their view of witchcraft is literally signing up to work for the devil and do evil or wicked things. It's not green old ladies with warts and pointy black hats. It's not that people were following a nature-based religion. There's no evidence any of them were. It's not any sort of actually existing set of spiritual beliefs. It's entirely within their version of, of, of Calvinism, of Puritanism. 
there are very many reasons that are quite unfortunate why people were picked on, why people are accused throughout New England, throughout Salem, and it is a real tragedy. this worldview and these various issues end up leading to a literal witch hunt? That's obviously what this podcast will explore in future episodes. But Dan sums it up for us. The Salem witch hunt is unique. Yes, there were other times throughout New England that people were accused of witchcraft and even executed, but it was always just one person here or two people there. It was never 200 people accused at once. So it's a unique historical situation in North America. As to what caused it, we have some issues in the background. The king taking away their charter. Political uncertainty. Is this the end of Puritanism? Is their whole purpose of being going to go away? On top of that, you have issues with the Native Americans that have flared up. They're literally under attack in southern New Hampshire and Maine. And so that's kind of going on outside of Salem Village. But they hear about it. They see the war refugees. They're in on it even if they're not on the spot. What happens is based on that background, you have a multitude of individual issues. Those issues and that remarkable and complex story is what we'll get into in future episodes of the Salem Witch Trials podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share and let us know what you think. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time.